This is the anthem. Here's what you came for. This is the moment. Magic was made for. Hello there. Welcome back to Fan Fatales. Take a ride with us on the Hogwarts Express. Walk down Main Street with our best super pals. And defy gravity as we talk about all things fandom. Welcome back to Fan Fatales, a member of the Real Fans Podcast Network. I'm Emma. And I'm Gabby, and we are going back to a galaxy far, far away to celebrate an extra special galactic holiday, Life Day. Yes. So Life Day is celebrated here on Earth on November 17th, which is the day that the Star Wars Holiday Special was released back in the 70s. So we're going to talk mm-hmm. about the canon and then the holiday special and the legacy of that special. Absolutely. As well as some specials that have been influenced yes. by That's the part of the special. legacy. Yeah. Yeah. So, shall we get started? Yes. In Star Wars canon. So, Life Day was a time-honored holiday observed by the Wookiees on their forested homeworld of Kashyyyk in the galaxy's mid-rim, and the day was marked by the celebration of family, joy, and harmony, values, uh, and tenets of Wookiee culture. Yeah, and uh, Life Day celebrations involved a feast and journey to the Tree of Life, which represented the first seed and spark of life on the planet Kashyyyk. And the tree was said to be decorated with crystalline Life Day orbs, and rituals were conducted around it. Yes, and the feast involved shishuk fruits, Worcester lice syrup, and most of all, sacred orga roots, which had been forged from the Shadowlands in the days before the celebrations. Um, but after the oppressive days of the Galactic Empire, Life Day, be- Life Day became an annual holiday held after autumn that was celebrated by people throughout the galaxy. Yeah, so sentiments made the holiday their own by employing festive decor, twinkling string lights, uh, unique food and drink items, music and activities in their celebrations. And together, despite their differences in appearances, people shared the hopes of celebrating freedom and peace, which I think is a beautiful, beautiful way to start the season. Same. I kind of like, I kind of call it more so like Star Wars Thanksgiving. I know people associate the holiday special with Christmas. Yeah. I mean, because there's a lot of it that's very indicative of Christmas-like things or like you know, I mean, winter holiday like things. Yeah. You know, candles or the lights, lights or and, and the ornaments trees and, and decorating all that. a tree. Yeah. yeah, but I I think you're right. I think it is very similar. At least, I mean, the values of Christmas are pretty synonymous with those of Thanksgiving. Yeah. I, I do agree that it's a little bit more on the Thanksgivingy side where you give give thanks for being alive and yeah you know, yes. together and celebrating yeah. what you have. Yeah. Um, and at the end of the day, all celebrants of Life Day gathered to sing songs and reminded uh, or, and were reminded of their dedication, courage, and love for one another, which was the promise of the Tree of Life. Okay. Gathering to sing songs. Uh, the first thing that popped into my head was the Grinch. <laughs> yeah. I watched that movie the other day, the 2001. (laughs) That one's the best one. We just had a tropical storm go through Florida again. Um, I watched a bunch of Christmas movies that day. I'm sure. I mean, like, you gotta gotta take it where you can. Yep. So, Batuian Life Day, which 
from the planet Batu, which is Galaxy's Edge at Disney World and Disneyland. Um, their celebrations were held subsequent to the Batuian Harvest Festival and preceding Black Spire Day. And festive activities involve a gathering of residents at the Black Spire. Yep. Okay, hearing Harvest Festival, I think of um, Parks and Recreation. I don't know if you've seen Parks and I Recreation. Haven't. Oh my gosh, you have to watch it. I you know. would love it. I like you remind me so much of Leslie Nope. It's, it's oh. not even funny. Like, oh my god, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I love Parks and Recreation, and there's a whole story arc where basically they're putting together this harvest festival, and one of the main like attractions is this mini horse, and his name's Little Sebastian. Oh. I know. And he's a little mini horse, and they used to, and they sold T-shirts at the Harvest Festival that say "I bet Little Sebastian at the Pawnee Harvest Festival." <laughs> and then, and then, so here's what I want to know: Can we make T-shirts that say "I met Grogu at <laughs> the Batuian Harvest Festival"? <laughs> yes. And it has a little picture of Grogu in the middle. I mean, like, Disneyland <laughs> can, because Mandalorian and Grogu are appearing like any day now. I think that would be so cute if they, like, made a yeah. spoof. I mean, it'd have to be fan-made because they obviously don't have the rights to Parks no. and Recreation because Parks and Recreation is NBC. Yeah. But I still think it would be very funny. Yeah. Um. So the idea of Life Day first came in the infamous 1978 TV special by George Lucas, the Star Wars Holiday Special. So let's talk a little bit about the plot and then the production history as well as the legacy. Yeah, the absolutely. Plot of the special. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> have you seen oh, it? Oh man, I I haven't seen the whole thing. I've seen a chunk of it, and then I was like, oh my god, I can't watch this anymore, so I turned it off. Um. So. The storyline that ties the special together, following the events of the original film, Star Wars A New Hope, Chewbacca and Han Solo are attempting to visit the Wookiee planet, home planet of Kashyyyk, to celebrate Life Day, and they are pursued by agents of the Galactic Empire who are searching for members of the Rebel Alliance on the planet. Um, the big thing about this special is that it introduced Boba Fett and three members of Chewbacca's family, his father, Itchy, his wife, Mala, and his son, Lumpy. Which they were featured in the Star Wars Lego holiday special from 2020, fun fact. I think that's the one that I'm thinking of. The Lego one. The animated one. Yeah. That's the one I'm thinking of. Okay. This is not the animated no, one, No, this right? is the 1978. Okay, so I'm thinking of the wrong one. Yeah. Sorry. I was like, I don't think that I was we were talking about it and I was like, I don't think this is the right one. <laughs> the Lego one is a <laughs> same with this one. This one for half oh. of it is just Chewbacca's family like doing the like wookie noise at each other with no subtitles. <laughs> for like I love it. Half of it. Oh my god. You're telling me it's not on Disney Plus? No. Disney Plus, what? Except for the cartoon short, which we'll get into later. Okay. Um, but the special also features the rest of the Star Wars main characters, which were Luke Skywalker, C-3PO, R2-D2, Darth Vader, Princess Leia, Han Solo, Chewbacca, of course. And they were all portrayed by the original cast. And the sp- Yeah. Yeah. And the plot strings together a series of musical numbers, celebrity cameos, comedy acts, and a cartoon. Um, so the music section, because now we're going to go into, like, music, comedy, think celebrity cameos, maybe? Nope. Music, comedy, and then the cartoon, like, skits and segments. So the original music was composed. Original music was composed for the Star Wars Holiday Special by Ken and Mitzi Welch, while Ian Fraser wrote um, was brought in to adapt the John Williams Orchestra themes from Star Wars. The special features four new songs: "This Minute Now," um, which was sung by Diana Carroll, 
And Carol, who is supposed to be an image created by a virtual reality machine, tells Chewbacca's father, Itchy, that she is his, quote, fantasy, end quote, and suggestively invites him to, quote, experience, end quote, her. Yeah, that's creepy. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 weird. Yeah. Um, Light the Sky on Fire, performed by Jefferson Starship, um, which is presented as a 3D music video watched by one of the Imperial Guards. Um, and during production, the song was given the working title, um, Cigar-Shaped Object Vanished Without a Trace. And the song was included as a bonus 45 RPM single in the Jefferson Starship Greatest Hits collection, Gold. Um, okay, really quick. Yeah. What a perfect name. What? Wait, this guy? Jefferson on? Starship? Yeah. That's like a perfect name. Like, you were born to work on Star Wars stuff. <laughs> True. Or like, I think they're a band. Space. They're a band. Yeah, bands yeah. are born. True. I, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't know, but I think that's hilarious. I love that. Yeah. Um, later, B. Arthur, who plays Akmina, the proprietor, proprietress of the Moss Eisley Cantina, sings good night, but not goodbye, set to the Cantina band theme. Some of the same aliens seen in the Cantina in Star Wars reappear, including the band at, um, as backup musicians. I'm not going to try to pronounce the band name they I mean, uh, Vigrin friggin Dan and the modal nodes yeah sure um and then finally at the end of the special Carrie Fisher sings a song in celebration of life day to the tune of Star Wars main title by John Williams I don't know how I feel about it yeah so yeah. we'll talk about it a little bit later when we talk more so about production. They were trying to make it a lot like comedy and skit shows of the 70s. Think like the Muppet mm-hmm. show and stuff like that, where it was like different skits. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then they wanted to make it Star Wars. So they had the overall plot and then it mm-hmm. would cut to these skits. Makes sense. <sighs> So, going into, like, the comedy of it, you know, great, great bridge there, great uh, segue <laughs> yeah. into the comedy of the special, um, Harvey Corman provides comedy in three of the special skits, and these include the Cantina skit with B. Arthur, where he plays a love-struck bar fly who drinks through a hole in the top of his head. Um, bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> um. He also performs two solo routines, one as Chef Gormanda and yes. a four-armed parody of, excuse me, which, who is a four-armed parody of Julia Child. Again, bizarre. Have you seen that clip, though? It's the stir, wit, stir, wit, wit, Yeah, wit, yeah, stir. yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen it. Yeah. It, huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so... Chef Gormanda has uh, four arms, which allow her to work much faster than uh, the than Mala can Mala, keep up yeah. with. Yes. So, um, as one of Ed and his last solo routine. Sorry, I'm, I'm I can't read. This text is too small. His last routine is as a malfunctioning amorphin android named Dromboid in an instruction video, which is watched by Lumpy. Mm-hmm. So um, Art Carney has a more integral role in the story, paying, playing a traitor named San Dan on Kashyyyk, who's a member of the Rebellion, and he helps Chewie's family. So his segments are also largely played for laughs, and at one point he includes a scene alluding to his character Ed Norton from The Honeymooners, um, which, I don't know, this, this, <laughs> it's so bizarre to me. Oh, this whole thing is bizarre. It's just, it's just one giant question mark. Yeah. Um, so anyway, he alludes to the scene from The Honeymooners where an Imperial officer demands that he get on with it, uh, quote, end quote, 
while Carney dallies with a prop, thus introducing the Jefferson Starship performance. Yes. Um, and the high point of the special is generally considered to be the animated segment known as The Faithful Wookiee, which is the first official Star Wars cartoon. It was written by George Lucas and produced by Toronto animation firm Nelvana LTD, which later produced Droids and Ewoks to Saturday morning series based on the franchise in 1985 on ABC. Um, and Lucas requested that the visual style be inspired by Moebius. I have no idea what that is. I don't either. Um, the vocal talents of the main Google cast time. were featured. Jean Giard. He was a French artist, uh, cartoonist, and a writer. Oh, okay. I thought it was a TV show. No, it's a TV show. Oh, it is. It, the TV show is Moebius, but this is the guy. This is his style. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. I guess. I guess. Set um, of comics. Um, oh, maybe Moebius is a different person. Oh, no, no, no. That is his name. That was his pen name. Okay. Moebius was Jean Girard's pen name. Okay. okay. Yes. Whose signature blend of psychedelic fantasy and surrealism formed an aesthetic blueprint of modern sci-fi. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. The artwork's really cool. Go check it out if you yeah. Google him. Pretty cool. Um, so the vocal talents of the main cast are featured, um, and it's intended as an in-universe flashback. So Luke is wearing his yellow jacket similar to his outfit at the end of A New Hope. And the cartoon introduces Boba Fett, whose appearance was based on footage of the unpainted costume from The Empire Strikes Back, which would come out, what, a couple years later? Mm-hmm. Um... And according to now, um, this came out in what seventy eight? Seventy eight. Empire came out in eighty. Yeah. So yeah, two years later. Yeah. So yeah, it was based on footage of the unpainted costume from the Empire Strikes, the Empire Strikes Back, and according to Nirvana co-founder Clive Smith, their suggestion to scruff up his costume a little bit um, influenced the character's live-action appearance. The final? Oh, that's kind of cool. So yeah. they like mutually influenced each yeah. other. Um, the final costume design made a public parade appearance two months before the holiday special aired. The simplified color scheme for the cartoon was later repeated for Fett's appearance in Droids. According to the official Star Wars website, Boba Fett was voiced by Don Franks in the special. And this is separate from the rest of the special, and the current um, the cartoon is presently available to view on Disney Plus. So just the cartoon section. Yes. I knew there was a cartoon in here. I knew it. I was like, I kind of swore, and there was a cartoon. Okay. Yeah. So now we're on to production history. Yes. There's a decent amount of production history. There, it's, it's a good chunk. Yeah. So, um, near the end of 1977, various Star Wars, Star Wars ooh, themed <laughs> variety segments, such as those on Donnie and Marie and the Richard Pryor show, had brought a surge in ticket sales for the original films, which was still in theaters. Additionally, Lucasfilm had been under pressure from various licenses with ideas for products, among them CBS, suggested a full-length variety special. So, um, among this climate, Lucas became convinced that such a project would sustain interest in the franchise until the release of The Empire Strikes Back in 1980. And so, um, public publicity director Charles Lippincoit told Vanity Fair in 2008 that Quote, we wanted something that was going to make us different in variety shows. We didn't want the same old, same old. End quote. Yeah. Now we're going to get into the scripting of the Star Wars Holiday Special, which is surprisingly a lot for this to not really have a script. (laughs) 
It's a lot of just Wookiees yelling at each other. Just going... Yes, yeah. and I... The one thing I wish with the holiday special is they had subtitles for the yeah. Wookiees. Especially because a huge chunk of it is just Mala, um, Itchy, and Lumpy. Here's my question. What if you turn the subtitles on? Does it just say Wookiee noises like it does in the movies? I think so, but it's also not on Disney Plus, so we won't really be able to tell. There is a YouTube clip floating around of it, and it just says Wookiee noises. That's annoying. Yeah. Like, someone took their recording of the Star Wars Holiday Special from the 70s or whatever. Yeah, like, 78, and put it on YouTube. And it has, like, all the old advertisements for all the toys and stuff. I love that. It's actually a very fascinating watch just to see what was advertised at the same time as the Star Wars Holiday Special. Was it like lawn darts, chuck lead at your friend's feet? Yeah, it was like toys and stuff because think about it, it's the week before Thanksgiving is when this came out. Yeah, yeah. So it's a lot of like get ready for Black Friday sales. I'm sure. Um, But anyway... Um, Gary Smith and Dwight Hemian were brought on as producers. However, the pair had to divide their time with a number of other projects in development, so they themselves hired other producers to assist, such as Ken and Mitzi Welch, who we mentioned earlier wrote the music? I think so. Um... Yes, they wrote the music. I was right. Um, writers Leonard Ritz and Pat Proft, both of whom had previously worked with Sam Hemian, met with Lucas for one day, during which the three worked to develop the story, which focused on Chewbacca trying to get home to his family for the Wookiee holiday of Life Day. Yeah, so one of uh, Lucas's discarded ideas for A New Hope was to begin the film within a Wookiee household. So the main body of the film would have been presented as a story told to a Wookiee child by its parents. So um, during this time, he also considered making films outside of the saga, one of which would have centered around the Wookiees. So um, Lucas allowed the crew to access a large collection of his notes on Wookiee culture, which were developed for the original Star Wars film. Which is so interesting that we still haven't gotten anything around Wookiees besides, like, the creation of Life Day. Isn't there a TV show? Oh, no, droids and Ewoks. Yeah, there's Ewoks, but not Wookiees. You're right. I find that interesting. They made a bunch of Ewok stuff. There's that one Wookiee in the Clone Wars. There's two, because doesn't she help out Chewbacca at one point, Ahsoka? Yeah, but Chewbacca doesn't count. He wasn't originally mentioned in it. True. Chewbacca exists already. There's that one little kid. Yeah. The little little baby one. I loved him. I can't remember his name, but ah. Loved that kid. Um, Director David Okumba showed Lucas the 1976 Nirvana film, A Cosmic Christmas, Lucas um, liked Nirvana's, uh, Nelvana's style of animation and asked them to work on a segment in the special. And Clive A. Smith developed an 11-minute story concept, which he presented to Lucas in early 1978. Yes. I like to believe it's still the 11 minutes just padded with the comedy special and music and cartoons. He's like, okay, so we're going to do this, and then we're going to do this, and then we're going to do this. Yes. And that's all we got. Yes. And he's like, but that's, that's only 11 minutes. And they're like, well, we'll fix it. We'll add more stuff. And it's just, yes. that's what it is. It's 11 minutes of story, add more stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so Lucas proceeded to work with Smith on streamlining the story, which, why? The story is already streamlined so much. I know. Um, which introduced the character Boba Fett, who was modeled after Joe Johnson's sketches, as well as Ben Burtt's VHS costume test. 
So, um, like Smith Hemmen, Lucas attended a few, <clears throat> excuse me, subsequent production meetings, but was pretty busy with the Empire Strikes Back and other projects, so he wasn't super involved. Yes. In fact, in 2014, Star Wars producer Gary Kurtz commented on the situation, quote, It did start out to be a lot better with a different script. We had half a dozen meetings with the TV company that was making it. In the end, because of work on promoting Star Wars and working on the next film, we realized we had no time, so we just left it to them and just had the occasional meetings with them, provided them with access to props and the actors, and that was it. End quote. That's the biggest freaking mistake they could have made. Because <laughs> it could have been a really it, nice story. It really could have been a really nice story. And there's it has, elements of good stories. Yeah, it has the framework. It has the potential to be a really great story. Yes. However. However. <laughs> we just have this. I mean, hey, this came out, 1977 is when A New Hope came out. This came out the Christmas after A New Hope. Uh-huh. Or after, the year after it came out. Uh-huh. So, like, at this point, we have to think, people still didn't know Vader was Luke's father. Nope. Like, stuff like that is just mind-blowing. <laughs> With this holiday special. There was a time that people thought Han Solo was going to be frozen in carbonite forever. That was not yet, though. That I mean, they didn't even know that was going to happen yet. Yeah. This was when this is when A New Hope was still just called Star Wars. True. I'm, I keep calling it A New Hope because like Star Wars is the franchise now. Yeah, because I mean, to us, we have to specify because otherwise people will be like, which one are you talking about? Well, obviously, it's A New Hope. None of the other ones were out yet. But, yeah, but at this point so. in time, it was just one movie. It was yeah. just Star Wars. That's it. Yeah. Um, Rips and Proft wrote an outline and first draft based on Lucas's notes. But since the show was targeted at a family audience, they tried to avoid writing any violence into the special. Which is interesting because it's called Star Wars. Wars. <laughs> yeah. Also, like, did they not see the first movie? <laughs> like, what? How are, how are the families supposed to know what's going on if they didn't see the first movie? Because it's all tied together. Like, let's think about the first movie. The first movie we see um, Uncle Owen Uncle and ben. Aunt... Br- or, Uncle Ben. I mean, Uncle Owen. No, yeah, yes, Uncle Owen. You're right. Sorry. Thank you. I was like, no, that's. Yeah, Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru. Yes. They're burning bodies and like skeletons in A New Hope. Yeah. And yet they didn't want I mean, any violence because they were targeting a family audience. Yeah. I mean, in the first movie, how many, how many people died just in <laughs> that, the, just in, just on the Death Star? Yeah. They blew up Alderaan, like... Uh, yeah, I forgot that was in the first one. Like, like, they get stuck in the trash compactor. It literally happens within the first ten minutes of the first movie. I know. Darth Vader's all... Ha, ha, ha. Yeah. Maybe not first ten minutes, but, like, relatively early in the yeah. film. And Leia's like, gah, and then... <laughs> you know the rest of the story yeah but oh they get stuck in the trash compactor that's scary yeah so anyway um after all of that uh the script was then given to bruce villanche who was unsure of how to write for characters who did not speak the human language which is fair um believing that it would turn out to be quote one long episode of lassie I love that quote. Because <laughs> that's kind of how it feels. Yeah. So, um, to offset this, Villanche came up with uh, many of the variety aspects of the special, which... Uh, Bruce, you done messed up. Yeah. 
So the character of San Dan was also created as a bridge to the audience based on Lucas's early concept of Lando Calrissian as a traitor on Kashyyyk. Yeah, he wasn't introduced yet either. Nope. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, the final writers to work on the script were Ken and Mitzi Welch, who made major alterations. And as Lucas later observed, quote, it just kept getting reworked and reworked, moving away into this bizarre land. They were trying to make one kind of thing, and I was trying to make another. And it ended up being a weird hybrid between the two. I'm not sure either position would have worked on its own, but by combining them, dot, 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 end quote. Yeah. Yeah. Lucas, you done messed up. I mean, no. I think... I think there were too many people with their hands in the creative pot, and they all wanted something different. Yeah. So there wasn't one person to say, this is the direction we're going in. Either get on board or get off, you know? Yeah. Um, the early story treatment was completed in May of 1978, and the teleplay was in its fourth draft by that, Dece- um, by that September. And a sand that was planned but never shot was, or in which Luke Skywalker sings a song. However, Mark Hamill claims to have vetoed this idea. So instead, Honestly, like, good, because that's so out of character for him. But, but I Carrie Fisher see... sings. Yeah, but she would. Not like, not like in, like, a princessy way or, like, a, I don't know. I feel like she, like, for funsies. True. I feel like she would. Yeah, and she also does it more so, like, at the end for the, like, big Life Day song rather than, like, yeah. out of nowhere. It's like, here we go, pulling analogies yeah. to the Grinch again. It's like at the end when they're singing their song and they were joining hands. Yeah, I don't know. Um, Christmas already started at Universal Orlando and Disney World this week. Yes. On Friday. Yep. I've seen the videos already. Same. Somebody, I saw a video. Okay, we're going to go on a quick tangent. Um, I saw a video well, where somebody Well, we're done gave... with scripts anyway, so we can take a small yeah. tangent. So I saw a video where somebody gave the Grinch, like, a teeny tiny little stuffed Max, and it had, like, a little hook, like, like it was an ornament or something. Yeah. And he, like, lost his mind. He was like, oh! my god i love it yeah one of it my friends horrible. is um good friends with the grinch and wink, he's wink, already nudge nudge yeah wink wink nudge nudge and he's already been reposting videos and stuff of um his friend the grinch that sounds fun also sean's cousin is good friends with cindy lou oh that's cool yeah i'm getting a universal pass and like oh a week or two. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited. I'm jealous. I'm I so wish excited. I could go. So shall we move on to filming? Yeah. Okay. So so the filming began on August, in August of 1978, which is odd because the film wasn't even really done. The script wasn't done. It, you can tell that they didn't have a script. Not going to lie. It's, it feels like one of those projects where they're just kind of ambling through it, and then they just kind of mash it all together and see what happens. And it's like, like a oh, bad this group is fine. project. Yes, like a terrible class project. Yeah. Yes. So um, the filming began in August of 1978 under David Acomba, who is a friend of Lippincott and fellow USC schoolmate of Lucas. Um, USC, University of Southern California. Let's yeah. go Trojans. No, Trojans? I don't yeah. know. Um, the special was shot mostly on videotape on a budget of over $1 million, which is decent for what you get. Yeah. Um, the cantina sequence took an entire day to film from 6 a.m. one day to 6 a.m. the next. So literally... 24 hours. Yes. Um, the costume actors withstood heat, claustrophobia, and for some, low oxygen intake. Yes. 
Um, and when B. Arthur's son, Daniel Sachs, visited the set, he saw, quote, a nurse running around feeding oxygen into the various aliens to make sure that they didn't pass out, end quote. Wow. Yeah. I think this was before the invention of, like, SAG. Probably. So. But then after, so after the cantina scene was filmed and all that happened, or, like, during it, they brought in Rick Baker, who had previously worked on the original Star Wars, again, to serve as the creature supervisor for the special. But does that mean, like, he was just maintaining the integrity of the characters? Or was he actually there to help them? Because for me, that means, like, to maintain the integrity of the characters. Maybe. Like, that's what I understand that to be. Maybe. So... I don't know. This is, like, before the invention of, like, Screen Actors Guild and all that stuff, where there's rules about this kind of stuff, and, like, you don't hear about people working 24 hours anymore. Like, involuntarily. I mean, like, there's, like, a lot of rules, and you gotta get lots of stuff petitioned and signed by all the guilds and the actors and the crew, and there's just so much. You just can't do this kind of stuff anymore. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, although many of the Cantina creatures were reused from Star Wars, quote, Lion Man, end quote, and Baboon Man were created for the special. <laughs> These two wore complicated makeup that took two, uh, two and a half hours to apply. That's ridiculous. All I think of is, like, Wizard of Oz. Same. Yeah. Because Baboon Man uh, so- could really be a flying monkey. Totally. Um, so for Harvey Corman's scenes, he reportedly kept the cast and crew entertained and brought levity to the set, which seemed to be much needed. Yeah. Um, but due to Acoma's inexperience directing television and his difficulties working with Ken and Mitzi Welch, he departed from the project partway through the production. Here we go. Here's another creative change, you know. Yep. Director is like, bye, I'm out. To make matters worse, much of the budget had been spent and according to gary smith the production was in was in danger of being canceled um and as a result of these difficulties production shut down to find a replacement director honestly i don't think it would have been that bad if it all got canceled no it might have been a waste of time and money but yeah this was a waste of time and money though if i'm releasing it but then we wouldn't have the dumpster fire that is this special. We wouldn't have gotten introduced to Boba Fett until Empire. And his Which, costume probably wouldn't have been as... Detailed? Ha- as detailed, I guess. I don't know. I, I want to know what his costume would have looked like without the influence of the cartoon. I mean... Because they obviously they chose it was just like the color scheme, probably. Yeah, they said they chose the color scheme and they chose, like, to weather it a little bit, which, like, makes sense. Yeah. I mean, like, your blank model wouldn't be super weathered. You would do that in the paint and you would do that, like, in the actual I'd imagine they would have still weathered it, but I wonder if the costume palette or the color palette would have changed. Maybe. That would be interesting. Can you imagine, like, a purple Boba Fett instead of the green? No. Exactly. I think Django Fett looks weird. Like. With the blue? Yeah. Yeah. A little. So, anyway. Uh, Gary Smith then asked Steve Binder, who is a former colleague, to step in as a director. And when ba- when Binder began shooting in September, he found himself on a project that was way behind schedule and way over budget. Quote, when I got called in, they had already started production and shut it down because they had spent all their budget and only shot a fourth of the show. So I came in as kind of a firearm. I got the script on a Friday and I started shooting on a Monday. When I saw the script, I saw the first 10 minutes with the Chewbacca family was just subtitles and I thought, "Uh uh-oh, we're going to be in trouble. But I had no say in changing anything at that point. I just had to get it shot, end quote. So Lucas gave Binder a, quote, Wookiee Bible, end quote, which contained all the information he had developed about the species, which honestly, like show Bibles and like character Bibles aren't actually that uncommon in TV and films like this. Like, 
I've been listening to a lot of films about, or excuse me, a lot of podcasts um, about The Office and about Parks and Rec, and they yeah. all have this sort of show bible that covers the history of all the characters, their mm-hmm. story arcs, like necessary information about the location and the characters. And I mean, J.K. Rowling case, even did that for Chris Columbus. He mentioned that in the special from what earlier this year. The 20th anniversary special. Yeah. yeah, New Year's. That she pretty much created a whole rule book for Quidditch. Mm-hmm. For Sorcerer's Stone so they could film it. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's not uncommon that a creative team will come up yeah. with a sort of guideline book, a sort of Bible to guide And I mean, not the... as, like, big or whatever, but my dad worked opening cast for the Muppets show over at studios Mm -hmm. and i got to see like some of his training stuff because he still has like the book and it gave like a bible of the characters each muppet that Mm -hmm. is in that show Mm -hmm. their backstory and all that stuff Mm -hmm. all that stuff is super important because then everybody's on the same page you know yeah um so let's see here so whereas Akoma had handled most of the variety segments, Binder was more involved with the scenes with the Wookiee household, um, as well as the scenes with the original cast, many of whom were reluctant to participate. I don't blame them. I don't either. And I know, um, so you know how um, Mark Hamill had gotten in that accident, like, right before, or, like, during Empire Strikes Back filming, mm-hmm. which is why they made the whole, like, Yeti kind of scene. Mm-hmm. It was, like, right around this time, too. So they put him in, like, heavy makeup to make him look like a New Hope him. He looks very tan in mm-hmm. the few scenes he's in. Man. It's interesting. Poor dude. Yeah. Um... The Wookiee household was originally built as a full set. However, when Binder was hired, he removed a portion of the set in hopes of speeding up production. Um, As with the actors and the cantina scene, those in Wookiee suits had to take breaks every hour to get oxygen. Insane. Again, something like that would never happen nowadays. Oh, no. Never. And there were at least four of them playing Wookiees. Because there's mm-hmm. four Wookiee characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but the ending celebration was filmed in an aircraft hangar. Fun fact. Yeah. Um, and by that point in production, the, proje- um, the project had run out of funds. So yeah. as a result of this, the crew had to use relatively inexpensive materials to create the Life Day Ceremony. Store-bought candles were used as lighting, and red robes and Dawn Post Studios Chewbacca masks were worn by extras in lieu of full Wookiee costumes. Which yeah, is, you can kind of tell. Yeah. Which is why you, like, see, or why the red robes became such a big thing with Life Day. I know that Disneyland mm-hmm. is celebrating, like, a Life Day robe. Right mm-hmm. now, for mm-hmm. that whole thing. Yeah. According to Valanche, Fisher was eager to sing for this scene because she was going through her Joni Mitchell period. She was very, she very much wanted to show this side of her talent. End quote. Yeah. You go, Carrie. I mean, I mean, good for her. Yeah, you go, Carrie. Um, so after shooting for over a month, the production finally wrapped, and according to Binder, he was unable to edit the film, unlike all his other productions, uh, due to a scheduling conflict, actually. So as a result, the special was edited by the producers, who had zero prior experience with editing. And you, and you can tell. tell. Again, there is no sub um, subtitles for the Wookiee scenes. Like, he thought there was Not a one. To be. So you don't know what they're saying. There's, like, a whole thing where um, Lumpy, so Chewbacca's son, is, like, playing with a toy. And then his father, Itchy, just, like, yells at Lumpy out of nowhere. It's just, like, or whatever the Wookiee sound is. 
just like out of nowhere to it and I want to know what he actually said to the kid. I want somebody to take the old footage, subtitle it with like really modern text, like stuff that would never be said back then. So it's like, yeah. it's like, hey, yo, Gramps, like, <laughs> like, why don't you just like F off? And like, that's like the, it's got like the exclamation mark, ampersand, pound, like. Yeah. I think that'd be very funny. So, we know we've been kind of dumping on the special. A little bit. But it it carries a huge legacy with it. That's the yeah. thing. Is like, despite the uh, dumpster fire, yeah. it, it really does have a long-lasting legacy because... Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I mean... It, it was screened at the Library of Congress in 1990. Um, the Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the, the Sith art department used the holiday special to aid in designing the look of the planet Kashyyyk when they go. Yeah. Um, it was mentioned in the 2005 ABC family movie Chasing Christmas. Uh, Weird Al Yankovic's 2006 music video for his song White and Nerdy, um, which was a parody of Ride, what's that song? Riding by uh, Chimillionaire. Chim- yeah. Is that who sang that song? I think, yes. You know, that's what it says in the notes. Um, so, anyway, white and nerdy, right? Weird Al Yankovic. It's that song. It got, Shotty got me riding dirty. That's, that's yeah. the original song. Um, so, anyway, Weird Al dressed as a nerd playing a gangster for what appears to be a paper bag full of drugs. <laughs> and uh, Yankovic opens the paper bag to reveal a videotape of the holiday special. Yeah. Um, a big one for Star Wars The Clone Wars fan, fans, C-3PO was animated in a style that play, pays homage to the animation style of the animated segment from the special. So, like, that's pretty cool that they like, kind of use inspiration from that to create Clone Wars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In a commercial for the 2007 Robot Chicken Star Wars, an animated George Lucas voiced by Lucas himself sees a therapist over his hatred of the special. (laughs) Love. (laughs) And then according to Star Wars Detours writer Brendan Hay, Lucas later screened the holiday special for the writing staff of that show. Robot Chicken Star Wars Episode 3 features a skit similar to the holiday special in which Han Solo and Chewbacca... Visit the latter's family on Kashyyyk. That's great. Yeah. Um, on December 10th of 2007, humor website Rift Hacks released an audio commentary for the special recorded by former MST3K star Mike Nelson. Excuse me, stars. There's multiple. Um, Mike Nelson, Bill Corbett, and Kevin Murphy. Yes. Um, on December 20th of 2007... ABC's Nightline covered the special on television and on its website. Throughout the week of, sep- of November 17th, 2008, StarWars.com celebrated the holiday special's 30th anniversary by posting a number of holiday special-related articles and offering trade cards based on the special to Star Wars shop consumers. Features included interviews, photo galleries, and an animation animaniac uh, as well as the Los Angeles Times and NBC, both running articles on the special's anniversary. Uh, the Paley calendar held a poll for, excuse me, from November 10th through December 3rd, for which the top five holiday specials would be screened at the center between December 10th and 24th. And lastly, the Star Wars holiday special placed in the top possession with 59% of the vote. So, yep. pretty there impressive. You go. Yeah. Um, Menace of the Sith, the second episode of Lego Star Wars The Yoda Chronicles, had a similar scene in which Cad Bane interrupts Chewbacca's family sitting below a banner that reads, Happy Life Day. And for the Mandalore plot, a 2010 episode of Star Wars The Clone Wars, Mm -hmm. the Death Watch members' helmets were based on Boba Fett's helmet design from the holiday special in the droids' animated series. In 2011, the TV series Glee had a tribute to the holiday special in the episode Extraordinary Merry Christmas. 
In 2012 Futurama episode, Zap Dingbat had a sequence parodying the holographic dancing sequence. And in 2014, an episode of The Simpsons entitled I Won't Be Home for Christmas begins with with the characters watching the Cosmic Wars holiday special, which we all know what that is. Yeah. Um, In December 2015, Funny or Die released a, quote, new holiday special based on The Force Awakens. Also during this time, the cast and crew of The Force Awakens were interviewed about the original holiday special. Love it. Yeah. On May 26th of 2016, Andrew Lincoln and Norman Reedus? I think it's Reedus, yeah. Of The Walking Dead parodied the holiday special in NBC's The Red Nose Day special. Episodes Episodes of the... Sorry, go ahead. Episodes of The Goldbergs 2016, Supergirl 2017, and The Big Bang Theory 2018 also referenced the special. On December 14th of 2018, a quote special opened at Theater of Note in Los Angeles, and the play was loosely based on the real-life making of the special, which I would love to see. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah. Um, the script for Solo, a Star Wars story, includes a reference to Itchy, spoken by Chewbacca in, oh gosh, Shriwook? Yeah. Which is the Wookiee language. Um, according to writer John Kazdan, he tried to put additional references in the film. Oh, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Likewise, the special inspired elements of the Disney Plus series, The Mandalorian, and Good Morning America showed a clip of the animated segment while interviewing showrunner John Favreau about this. And in late 2019, Favreau even expressed interest in making another holiday special. The Lego honestly, Star Wars holiday. Oh, honestly, I would love to see Grogu and the Mandalorian celebrate Life Day. And like, and like, Grogu makes him wear like a little reindeer headband or something, and he's just like... Mm. That reminds me, me about- like, that's probably something that Trooper Mom is going to do soon. Oh, absolutely. Trooper um, Mom's videos are 10 out of 10. Yeah. The LEGO Star Wars Holiday Special debuted on Disney Plus on November 17th of 2020, which was 42 years after the release of the first one. Mm-hmm. Um... And it features a Life Day celebration involving characters from the sequel trilogy and includes elements inspired by the original special. The whole plot of it is, like, Rey going back in time and seeing, like, other Jedi Masters and their apprentice and yeah, stuff. This one's it, it, also kind of bizarre. Yeah, it really is. The only good thing is it proves that Finn is a um, horse user. Mm-hmm. On December 10th of 2020, during Disney's Investor Day, Marvel Studios had Kevin Feige announce that Guardians of the Galaxy director James Gunn was going to be directing and writing the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special for a December 2022 release date, and Gunn was inspired by the infamous Star Wars holiday special, which he unironically loved as a kid. Good for you. So, Honestly, I feel like the style of this special so much more fits the style of Guardians of the Galaxy than it does Star Wars. Same, which is why I'm like kind of excited for it, not gonna lie. Yeah, because I feel like it could be like Quill telling a story or Yondu telling a story, like narrating it, and like Quill and like the others yeah. all interjecting their own stories and like we see all the stories. I think yeah. that would be so funny. And we know it's in between Thor, Love and Thunder, and Guardians 3. Yes. Line-wise. We talked a little bit about it last week. Oh, shoot. That means Yondu can't narrate it. No. Okay, so Quill narrating it and all the others, like, throwing in their stories. Yeah. So, that's kind of it. That's that's the legacy that it that it holds and that's yeah, i mean now. there's a ton of people out there who unironically love the holiday special they think it is like yeah fantastic we are not two of those people no but <laughs> but it's still great there. 
It's still great. It it has it has an undeniable impact yes. culturally. So yeah. I don't know, that's kind of my takeaway from today. Same. You want to get into some fandom news? Sure. The Music Man has extended its Broadway run by two weeks and will now close on November 15th, which we are annoyed by. Yes. Um, Gabby knows my thoughts about it. Oh, yeah. Um, anyway, the Good Place alumni William Jackson Harper has joined the cast of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Chidi's gonna be an Ant-Man? <laughs> Hold on, that is Chidi, right? I, I don't know. I haven't watched this show. It is Chidi. What? <gasps> you get to do another alumni cast thing later. All new queens are joining six Broadway in December, including Haley Kaleem Wright as Aragon, uh, Leandra Ellis Gaston as Boy, Bo, Boleyn. Bo, Bo, Boleyn. Thank you. I, I knew it, but it just wasn't coming to me. Um, Bella Coppola as Seymour, Lana Zoe Jensen as Cleves, uh, Nasia Thomas as Howard. Taylor Iman Jones as Parr, and more. Warner Brothers' new leadership has reported wanting more of the focus for the film studio efforts to be on IP and franchises like Harry Potter and Superman. What does this mean? I think this means we're getting more spinoffs, which I really don't want it to happen. No. Here's the thing. Why? Why? I mean, I get it. It's basically free to create stories about new characters. Yeah. It's literally, it's basically free. However, or, yeah, to create stories about the same characters or, like, the same yeah. universe. Because, but still, it's so boring. I'm done. I'm done. Yeah. Parks and Rec alum Aubrey Plaza has joined the cast of Agatha, Coven of Chaos. The actress's role in the WandaVision spinoff is yet to be released. Funny how I just mentioned Parks and Rec earlier today. I know. I knew that this was coming and I knew I gave you that fandom news and I was like... I do love Parks and Rec. Yeah. Um, Universal Orlando Resort will soon begin work on bringing exciting new family entertainment that will immerse guests in the adventures of beloved animated characters to make way for these new additions. Fivel's Playground? Playland. Woody Woodpecker's Nuthouse Coaster. Curious George Goes to Town. DreamWorks Destination and Shrek and Donkey's Meet and Greet will close on January 16th of 2023. The E.T. Adventures um, Animal Actors on Location SpongeBob store pants, including meet and greets with SpongeBob and friends, and Kids Own Pizza Company will remain open for guests to enjoy. I think they're adding DreamWorks to that area because that's the Kids Zone area of the park. Yeah. And like none of those characters kids grew up with anymore. Yeah. So it's either going to turn out to be like Despicable Me, probably, or DreamWorks. I'd like to see some How to Train Your Dragon stuff. That'd be cool. Same. Let's surprise cool. the Guardians because they get so, like, lowered down. They're never going to do anything with Rise of the Guardians. Um, I know you love them, but in all honesty, nothing's probably ever going to happen with it. At least a meet and greet character. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe some meet and greet characters, yes. I don't need a ride. I want meet and greet characters. So... Anyway. That's Shall we see it. them in the outro? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay, let's try this again. Sorry. Also, my B-roll went off while we were recording, so I took one <laughs> nonchalantly. I didn't even notice you were taking your B-roll. You were talking, and I was like, oh, B-roll just went off. Snap. That's great. Kara, put that in. Put that in. <laughs> Boop.
before our outro. Yeah, before the outro. So now that Emma's got her be real done, um, <laughs> I think we'll see you guys in the outro. Yep. Um, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Fan Fatales. We are a proud part of the Real Fans Podcast Network. That's right. And if you want to check out more shows on the network, you can find them at rf4rm.com. Next week, we will be taking a break to celebrate Thanksgiving with our families. But then the week after that, we will be doing a deep dive into the film A Christmas Story. Remember to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. And subscribe to us on YouTube. Please leave us a review and comment down below to tell us what you thought of the show. And remember to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at FanFatalesPod for the latest updates. Now, Emma, where can the people find you on social media? So my Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok are all at Emma, which is S-N-I-P-P-Y-E-M-M-A. What about you, Gabs? I'm at Gabby Gent on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. That's G-A-B-Y-J-E-N-T. Um, our editing is by the wonderful Carolyn Smyre. And as always, thank you for tuning in. Bye! The views expressed in this episode do not reflect the banner company that they're about.